Chapter Twelve, Part Three of the Untilled Field by George Moore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. The Wild Goose, Part Three. He threw himself more and more into the education of the people, and politics became his chief interest. At last he had begun to live for his idea and long absence from home and long drives on outside cars and evenings spent in inn parlours were accepted without murmuring these discomforts were no longer perceived whereas when he and ellen used to sit over the fire composing speeches together the thought of them filled him with despair he used to complain that ellen was always sending him away from home and to hard mutton chops and dirty bedrooms he reminded her no more of these discomforts he came back and spent a day or two with her and went away again she had begun to notice that he did not seem sorry to leave but she did not reproach him because he said he was working for ireland he tried to think the explanation a sufficient one did he not love his home his home was a delightful relaxation the moment he crossed the threshold his ideas went behind him and in the hour before dinner he played with his child and talked to ellen about the house and the garden and the things he thought she was most interested in after dinner she read or sewed and he spent an hour at the piano and then he took her on his knees and sometimes in the morning as he walked with Ellen at his side to catch the train, he wondered at his good fortune. The road was so pleasant, so wide and smooth and shaded, in fact, just as he imagined the road should be, and Ellen was the very pleasantest companion a man could wish for. He looked on her, on his child and his house at the foot of the Dublin mountains, as a little work of art, which he had planned out, and the perfection of which entitled him to some credit. He compared himself to one who visits a larder, who has a little snack of something, and then puts down the cover, saying, Now, that's all right, that's safe for another week. Nevertheless, he could see a little shadow gathering. His speeches were growing more explicit, and sooner or later his wife would begin to notice that he was attacking the clergy. Had she no suspicion? She was, by nature, so self-restrained that it was impossible to tell. He knew she read his speeches, and if she read them, she must have noticed their anti-clerical tone. Last Saturday he had spoken to her about politics, but she had allowed the conversation to drop, and that had puzzled him. He was not well reported. The most important parts of his speech were omitted, and for these omissions he looked upon the reporters and the editors as his best friends. He had managed to steer his way very adroitly up to the present, but the day of reckoning could not much longer be postponed, and one day, coming home from a great meeting, he remembered that he had said more than he intended to say, though he had intended to say a good deal. This time the reporter could not save him, and when his wife would read the newspapers to-morrow, an explanation could hardly be avoided. He had thrown a book on the seat opposite, and he put it into his bag. 
its nihilism had frightened him at first but he had returned to the book again and again and every time the attraction had become stronger the train passed the signal box and ned was thinking of the aphorisms the new gospel was written in aphorisms varying from three to twenty lines in length and he thought of these as meat lozenges each containing enough nutriment to make a gallon of weak soup suitable for invalids and of himself as a sort of illicit dispensary ellen was not on the platform something had delayed her and he could see the road winding under the trees and presently he saw her white summer dress and her parasol aslant there was no prettier no more agreeable woman than ellen in ireland and he thought it a great pity to have to worry her and himself with explanations about politics and about religion to know how to sacrifice the moment is wisdom and it would be better to sacrifice their walk than that she should read unprepared what he had said but the evening would be lost it would be lost in any case for his thoughts would be running all the while on the morning paper and they walked on together he a little more silent than usual for he was thinking how he could introduce the subject on which he had decided to speak to her and ellen more talkative for she was telling how the child had delayed her and it was not until they reached the prettiest part of the road that she noticed that ned was answering perfunctorily what is the matter dear i hope you are not disappointed with the meeting no the meeting was well enough there were a great number of people present and my speech was well received i'm glad of that she said but what is the matter ned nothing i was thinking about my speech i hope it will not be misunderstood people are so stupid and some will understand it as an attack on the clergy whereas it is nothing of the kind well she said if it isn't it will be different from your other speeches how is that all your speeches lately have been an attack upon the clergy direct or indirect i dare say many did not understand them but anyone who knows your opinions can read between the lines if you have read between the lines ellen you would have seen that i have been trying to save the clergy from themselves they are so convinced of their own importance that they forget that after all there must be a laity ellen answered very quietly and there was a sadness in her gravity which ned had some difficulty in appreciating he went on talking telling her that some prelate had pointed out lately and with approbation that although the population had declined the clergy had been increasing steadily year after year i am really he said trying to save them from themselves i am only pleading for the harmless and the necessary laity ellen did not answer him for a long while you see ned i am hardly more to you now than any other woman you come here occasionally to spend a day or two with me our married life has dwindled down to that you play with the baby and you play with the piano and you write your letters i don't know what you are writing in them you never speak to me of your ideas now i know nothing of your politics i haven't spoken about politics much lately ellen because i thought you had lost interest in them 
i have lost interest in nothing that concerns you i have not spoken to you about politics because i know quite well that my ideas don't interest you any longer you're absorbed in your own ideas and we're divided you sleep now in the spare room so that you may have time to prepare your speeches but i sometimes come to see you in your room ellen sometimes she said sadly but that is not my idea of marriage nor is it the custom of the country nor is it what the church wishes i think ellen you are very unreasonable and you are generally so reasonable well don't let us argue any more she said we shall never agree i'm afraid ned remembered that he once used to say to her ellen we are agreed in everything if i had only known that it was going to turn out so disagreeable as this ned said to himself i should have held my tongue and he was sorry for having displeased ellen so pretty did she look in her white dress and her hat trimmed with china roses and though he did not care much for flowers he liked to see ellen among her flowers he liked to sit with her under the shady apple tree and the hollyhocks were making a fine show up in the air i think i like hollyhocks better than any flowers and the sunflowers are coming out he said he hesitated whether he should speak about the swallows ellen did not care for birds the swallows rushed round the garden in groups of six and seven filling the air with piercing shrieks he had never seen them so restless he and ellen walked across the sward to their seat and ellen asked him if he would like to see the child i kept him out of bed and thought you might like to see him yes he said go fetch the baby and i will shake the boughs and it will amuse him to run after the apples differences of opinion arise he said to himself for the mind changes and desire wanes but the heart is always the same and what an extraordinary bond the child is he said seeing ellen leading the child across the sward he forgot ireland forgot priests and forgot politics forgot everything he lifted his little son in his arms and shook the boughs and saw the child run after the falling apples stumbling and falling but never hurting himself the quarrels of the day died down the evening grew more beautiful under the boughs and this intimate life round their apple tree was strangely intense and it grew more and more intense as the light died every now and then the child came to show them an apple he had picked up and ned said he thinks he has found the largest apples that have ever been seen the secret of their lives seemed to approach and at every moment they expected to hear it the tired child came to his mother and asked to be taken on her lap an apple fell with a thud the stars came out and ned carried his son now half asleep into the house and they undressed him together having forgotten seemingly their differences of opinion but after dinner when they were alone in the drawing-room their relations grew strained again ned wanted to explain to ellen that his movement was not anti-clerical but he could see she did not wish to hear he watched her take up her work and wondered what he could say to persuade her and after a little while he began to think of certain pieces of music but to go to the piano would be like a hostile act 
the truth was that he had looked forward to the evening he was going to spend with her he had imagined an ideal evening with her and could not reconcile himself to the loss the hour we passed in the garden was extraordinarily intense he said to himself and he regretted ever having talked to her about anything except simple things it is unwise of a man to make a comrade of his wife now i wonder if she would be angry with me if i went to the piano if i were to play something very gently perhaps a book would seem less aggressive he went into his study and fetched his book and very soon forgot ellen but she had not forgotten him and she raised her eyes to look at him from time to time knowing quite well that he was reading the book out of which he drew the greater part of his doctrine that he had alluded to on his way home and that he had called the gospel of life he turned the pages and seeing that his love of her had been absorbed by the book she stuck her needle in her work folded it up and put it into the work basket i am going to bed ned he looked up and she saw he had returned from a world that was unknown to her a world in which she had no part and did not want to have a part knowing it to be wicked you have been reading all the evening you prefer your book to me good night she had never spoken to him so rudely before he wondered a while and went to the piano she had gone out of the room very rudely now he was free to do what he liked and what he liked most was to play bach the sound of the piano would reach her bedroom well if it did he had not played bach for four weeks and he wanted to play bach yes he was playing bach to please himself he knew the piano would annoy her and he was right she had just lighted the candles on her dressing-table and she paused and listened it annoyed her that he should go to the piano the moment she left him and that he should play dry intellectual bach for he knew that bach did not interest her she was tempted to ring for her maid and would have sent down word to ned that she would be obliged if he would stop playing had it not seemed undignified to do so as she undressed she lost control over herself and lying in bed it seemed to her that ned had hidden himself in a veil of kindness and good humour and that the man she had married was a man without moral qualities a man who would leave her without resentment without disgust who would say good-bye to her as to some brief habit she could hear bach's interminable twiddles and this exasperated her nerves and she wept through many preludes and fugues later on she must have heard the fugues in a dream for the door opened it passed over the carpet softly and she heard ned saying that he hoped the piano had not kept her awake she heard him lay the candle on the table and come over to her bedside and leaning over her he begged her to turn round and speak to him my poor little woman i hope i have not been cross with you this evening she turned away petulantly but he took her hand and held it and whispered to her and gradually tempted her out of her anger and taking some of her red hair from the pillow he kissed it she still kept her head turned from him but she could not keep back her happiness 
it followed her like fire enfolding her and at last raising herself up in the bed she said oh ned do you still love me when he came into her bed she slipped down so that she could lie upon his breast and they fell asleep thinking of the early train he would have to catch in the morning he was going to dublin and the servant knocked at the door at seven o'clock ellen roused a little asking if he must go to dublin she would like him to stay with her but he could not stay and she felt she must give him his breakfast while tying her petticoats she went to the door of ned's dressing-room asking him questions for she liked to talk to him while he was shaving after breakfast they walked to the station together and she stood on the platform smiling and waving farewells she turned home her thoughts chattering like the sunshine among the trees she leaned over the low crumbling walls and looked across the water meadows two women were spending the morning under the trees they were sewing a man was lying at length talking to them this group was part of external nature the bewitching sunlight found a way into her heart and it seemed to her that she would never be happy again ned had told her that he was not going to say anything about the priests at this meeting ah if she were only sure he would not attack religion she would not mind him criticizing the priests they were not above criticism they courted criticism approving of a certain amount of lay criticism but it was not the priests that ned hated it was religion and his hatred of religion had increased since he began to read those books she had seen him put one into his bag and the rest of the set were in his study when she got home she paused a moment and without knowing exactly why she turned aside and did not go into his study but next day the clock in the drawing-room stopped and wanting to know the time she went into the study and looked at the clock trying to keep her eyes from the bookcase but in spite of herself she looked the books were there they had been thrust so far back that she could not read the name of the writer well it did not matter she did not care to know the name of the writer ned's room interested her more than the books there was his table covered with his papers and the thought passed through her mind that he might be writing the book he had promised her not to write what he was writing was certainly for the printer he was writing only on one side of the paper and one of these days what he was writing would be printed the study was on the ground floor its windows overlooking the garden and she glanced to see if the gardener were by but her wish to avoid observation reminded her that she was doing a dishonourable action and standing with the papers in her hand she hoped she would go out of the study without reading them she began to read the papers in her hand were his notes for the book he was writing and the title caught her eye a western tibet so he is writing the book he promised me not to write she said but she could feel no anger so conscious was she of her own shame and she did not forget her shame until she remembered that it was her money that was supporting the agitation he had been spending a great deal of money lately 
They were rich now, her father had died soon after their marriage, and all his money had come to her, and Ned was spending it on an anti-religious agitation. She had let Ned do what he liked. She had not cared what happened so long as she kept his love. And her moral responsibility became clearer and clearer. She must tell Ned that she could give him no more money unless he promised he would not say anything against the priests. He would make no such promise, and to speak about her money would exhibit her in a mean light, and she would lose all her influence. Now that they were reconciled, she might win him back to religion. She had been thinking of this all yesterday. How could she tell him that she would take all her money away from him? Ned was the last person in the world who would be influenced by a threat. And looking round the room, she asked herself why she had ever come into it to commit a dishonourable act. And much trouble had come upon her. But two thousand a year of her money was being spent in robbing the people of Ireland of their religion. Maybe thousands of souls would be lost, and through her fault. Ellen feared money as much as her father had loved it. Good heavens, she murmured to herself, what am I to do? Confession. Father Brennan. She must consult him. The temptation to confide her secret became more decisive. Confession. She could ask the priest what she liked in confession, and without betraying Ned. And it was not ten o'clock yet. She would be in time for eleven o'clock mass. Father Brennan would be hearing confession after mass, and she could get to Dublin on her bicycle in an hour. In three-quarters of an hour she was at the presbytery, and before the attendant could answer she caught sight of Father Brennan running downstairs. I only want to speak to you for a few minutes. I am just going into church. Can't I say a word to you before you go in? And seeing how greatly agitated she was, he took her into the parlour, and she told him that though she trusted him implicitly, she could not consult him on this particular question except in the confessional. I shall be hearing confessions after Mass. If the priest told her she must withdraw her money from Ned, her marriage was a broken one. It was she who had brought Ned into politics. She had often spoken of her money in order to induce him to go into politics, and now it was her money that was forcing her to betray him. She had not thought of confession in her present difficulty as a betrayal, but it was one, and a needless one. Father Brennan could only tell her to withdraw her money, yet she must consult the priest, nothing else would satisfy her. She lacked courage. His advice would give her courage. But when she had told Ned that she could give him no more money, she would have to tell him she was acting on the priest's advice, for she could not go on living with him and not tell him everything. A secret would poison her life, and she had no difficulty in imagining how she would remember it. She could see it stopping her suddenly as she crossed the room when she was thinking of something quite different. The hardest confession of all would be to tell Ned that she had consulted the priest, and she did not think he would ever love her again.
but what matter so long as she was not weak and contemptible in the eyes of god that is what she had to think of the love of one's husband is of this world and temporary but the love of god is for all eternity all things are in the will of god it was god that had sent her into ned's room she had been compelled and now she was compelled again it was god that had sent her to the priest she was a mere puppet in the hands of god and she prayed that she might be reconciled to his will only daring to implore his mercy with one our father and one hail mary further imploration would be out of place she must not insist too much god was all wisdom and would know if the love of her husband might be spared to her and she hoped she would be reconciled to his will even if her child should be taken from her there were two penitents before her one a woman faded by time and deformed by work from the black dress come down to her through a succession of owners and now as nondescript as herself ellen guessed the woman to be one of the humblest class of servants one of those who get their living by going out to work by the day she leaned over the bench and ellen could see she was praying all the while and ellen wondered how ned could expect this poor woman earning a humble wage in humble service to cultivate what he called the virtue of pride was it not absurd to expect this poor woman to go through life trying to make life exuberant and triumphant and ellen wished she could show ned this poor woman waiting to go into the confessional in the confessional she would find a refined and learned man to listen to her and he would have patience with her where else would she find a patient listener where else would she find consolation the gospel of life indeed how many may listen to the gospel of life and for how long may anyone listen sooner or later we are the poor woman waiting to go into the confession she is the common humanity the other penitent was a girl about sixteen her hair was not yet pinned up and her dress was girlish even for her age and ellen judged her to be one of the many girls who come up to dublin from the suburbs to an employment in a shop or in a lawyer's office and who spend a few pence in the middle of the day in tea-rooms the girl looked round the church so frequently that ellen could not think of her as a willing penitent but as one who had been sent to confession by her father and mother at her age sensuality is omnipresent and ellen thought of the check confession is at such an age if that girl overstepped the line she would have to confess everything or face the frightful danger of a bad confession and that is a danger that few catholic girls are prepared to face the charwoman spent a long time in the confessional and ellen did not begrudge her the time she spent for she came out like one greatly soothed and ellen remembered that ned had once described the soothed look which she noticed on the poor woman's face as a look of foolish ecstasy wholly divorced from the intelligence but what intellectual ecstasy did he expect from this poor woman drifting towards her natural harbour the poor house 
it was extraordinary that a man so human as ned was in many ways should become so inhuman the moment religion was mentioned and she wondered if the sight of that poor woman leaving the confessional would allay his hatred of the sacrament at that moment the young girl came out she hurried away and ellen went into the confessional to betray her husband she was going to betray ned but she was going to betray him under the seal of confession and entertained no thought that the priest would avail himself of any technicality in her confession to betray her she was nevertheless determined that her confession should be technically perfect she went into the confessional to confess her sins and one of the sins she was going to confess was her culpable negligence regarding the application of her money there were other sins she had examined her conscience and had discovered many small ones she had lost her temper last night and her temper had prevented her from saying her prayers her temper and her love of ned for it was certainly a sin to desire anything so fervidly that one cannot give to god the love the prayers that belong to him during mass the life of her soul had seemed to her strange and complex and she thought that her confession would be a long one but on her knees before the priest her soul seemed to vanish and all her interesting scruples and phases of thought dwindled to almost nothing she could not put her soul into words the priest waited but the matter on which she had come to consult him had put everything else out of her head i am not certain that what i am going to tell you is a sin but i consider it as part of my confession and she told him how she had given ned her money and allowed him to apply it without inquiring into the application since my child was born i have not taken the interest i used to take in politics i don't think my husband is any longer interested in my ideas and now he has told me that some kind of religious reformation is necessary in ireland when did he tell you that yesterday the day before i went to the station to meet him and he told me as we walked home for a long time i believed him i don't mean that he told me falsehoods he may have deceived himself anyhow he used to tell me that though his agitation might be described as anti-clerical no one could call it anti-religious but this morning something led me into his room and i looked through his papers i dare say i had no right to do so but i did and you discovered from his papers that his agitation was directed against religion ellen nodded i cannot think of anything more unfortunate said the priest father brennan was a little fat man with small eyes and a punctilious deferential manner and his voice was slightly falsetto i cannot understand how your husband can be so unwise i know very little of him but i did not think he was capable of making so grave a mistake the country is striving to unite itself and we have been uniting and now that we have a united ireland or very nearly it appears that mr carmody has come from america to divide us again what can he gain by these tactics if he tells the clergy that the moment home rule is granted an anti-religious party will rise up and drive them out of the country 
he will set them against home rule and if the clergy are not in favour of home rule who i would ask mr carmady who will be in favour of it and i will ask you my dear child to ask him i suggest that you should ask him to what quarter he looks for support ned and i never talk politics we used to but that is a long time ago he will only ruin himself but i think you said you came to consult me about something yes you see a very large part of my money is spent in politics and i am not certain that i should not withdraw my money it is for that i have come to consult you ellen had been addressing the little outline of the priest's profile but when he heard the subject on which she had come to consult him he turned and she saw his large face round and mottled a little light gathered in his wise and kindly eyes and ellen guessed that he had begun to see his way out of the difficulty and she was glad of it for she reckoned her responsibility at a number of souls the priest spoke very kindly he seemed to understand how difficult it would be for her to tell her husband that she could not give him any more money unless he promised not to attack the clergy or religion but she must do so he pointed out that to attack one was to attack the other for the greater mass of mankind understands religion only through the clergy you must not only withdraw your money he said but you must use your influence to dissuade him i am afraid said ellen that when i tell him that i must withdraw my money and that you have told me to do so you need not say that i told you to do so i cannot keep anything back from my husband i must tell him the whole truth she said and when i tell him everything i shall not only lose any influence that may remain but i doubt very much if my husband will continue to live with me but your marriage was a love marriage yes but that is a long time ago it is four years ago i don't think your husband will separate himself from you but even so i think you will give me absolution she said this a little defiantly and the priest wondered and she left the confessional perplexed and a little ashamed and very much terrified there was nothing for her to do in dublin she must go home and wait for her husband he was not coming home until evening and she rode home wondering how the day would pass thinking the best time to tell him would be after dinner when he left the piano if he were very angry with her she would go to her room he would not go on living with her she was sure of that and her heart seemed to stand still when she entered the house and saw the study door open and ned looking through the papers i have come back to look for some papers he said it is very annoying i have lost half the day and he went on looking among his papers and she could see that he suspected nothing do you know when is the next train she looked out the trains for him and she could see that he suspected nothing and after he had found the papers he wanted they went into the garden she talked of her flowers with the same interest as she had done many times before and when he asked her to go for a walk with him on the hill she consented 
although it was almost unbearable to walk with him for the last time through the places where they had walked so often thinking that their lives would move on to the end unchanged and they walked about the hill talking of irish history their eyes often resting on the slender outlines of hoth until it was time for ned to go to the station i shall be back in time for dinner you will wait dinner a little for me i may have to come back by a later train and they walked down the hill together ned bidding her good-bye at the garden gate saying she had walked enough that day and she feeling the moment was at hand but ned why are you going to dublin you are only going to see people who are anti-catholic who hate our religion who are prejudiced against it but he said why do you talk of these things we have got on very much better since we have ceased to discuss politics together we are agreed in everything else she did not answer for a long while and then she said but i don't see how we are to avoid discussing them for it is my money that supports the agitation i never thought of that so it is do you wish to withdraw it you are not angry with me ned you won't think it mean of me to withdraw my money how are you going to go on without my money you see i am wrecking your political career oh he said i shall be able to get on without it now good-bye may i go to the station with you if you like only let us talk of something else everyone's conscience is his own law and you must act accordingly she trotted by his side and she begged of him not to laugh at her when he said that to be truly logical she would have to turn him out of the house or at least to charge him for his board and lodging the intonation of his voice laid her heart waste she felt she was done for and she walked home repeating the words i am done for as she passed through her garden she saw that her flowers were dying for want of water and she gave them a few cans of water but she could not do much work and though the cans were heavy they were not as heavy as her heart she sat down under the apple trees and remembered her life her best days were her school days then life was beginning now it seemed to her nearly over and she only five-and-twenty she never could take the same interest in politics as she had once taken nor in books she felt that her intelligence had declined she was cleverer as a girl than she was as a woman end of the wild goose part three